I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. It's the official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel with me, managing editor Eli Sussman. For the first time in half a year, real Miami Marlins baseball games to analyze, to react to, to overreact to. We're coming off opening weekend of the 2022 season. We were blessed with back-to-back-to-back competitive games between the Marlins and Giants, ones that went all the way down to the wire. So I have a lot to say, a lot to go through. I want to just mention how reinvigorating it was to see the community on our website, fishtraps.com, and on our social media accounts, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, totally come to life, erupt with celebration of highlights, with second guessing of Don Mattingly, with all the memes that we've had from previous years and inventing new ones on the fly, just everything about what we do this for. This is what it's all about. We go through the news and rumors and transactions and even, of course, the dead time in between all that stuff. It all leads to this, of how it comes together on the field. That's why you play the games, because there's always little wrinkles that you couldn't possibly anticipate that make this all worthwhile. As a Fish Stripe staff, planning more than 700 articles that will come out during the course of this regular season, nearly 200 unique podcast episodes available wherever you're listening to this one right now, more than 50 live streams on our Fish Stripes Live program, We just appreciate the support, all the encouragement to come up with this stuff. 
and really the games themselves tell you a whole like, direct us in the right direction with how we want to cover this team and the conversations we want to have there's nothing particularly easy about doing what we do in the chaos of all these games going on but this is what we do it for this is the fun of it this is what it all leads up to and early in the season there's still infinite possibilities for the way that this season can go with that said on the other side of the break i'll fire up the small pod music and we'll do the rundown of friday saturday and sunday between the marlins and giants then the second half of the show going through the other news updates on both the major league and the minor league side and what was also opening weekend for the marlins affiliates themselves stick with me i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So let's rewind to opening day on Friday at Oracle Park in San Francisco. Beautiful facility to start a season. And we had a beautiful starting pitching matchup, at least on paper, between Sandy Alcantara and Logan Webb. Anyway, you slice it, uh, Webb was the better arm in this one, leaving the mound in the seventh inning without having actually allowed any runs to that point. He was great, generating a ton of ground balls in this one, as was the case for him much of last season. And in his three career starts against the Marlins, he's been great every single time. With Sandy, this was his third time getting the opening day starting nod for the Marlins three straight years. Of those three, this was certainly his less least impressive effort, issuing five walks in this game, lasting five innings. That was his highest walk total in a game in several years. He's somebody that, especially last year, really thrived on getting opponents to chase pitches outside the strike zone, Neither to you know make weak contact or to just swing and miss altogether. Not so much of that happening in this one. So he threw nearly as many balls as strikes, 39 balls, 44 strikes. The Giants just not chasing outside the zone the way that he was anticipating. His velocity was pretty close to normal, which means outstanding. You know, a lot of stuff in the high 90s. And making frequent use of his main secondary pitches as well, just not clicking. It was He went through this Giants lineup, not even at full strength entering the season, frankly, with a couple key veterans on the injured list, and yet they were able to work him out of the game after five innings. At least initially, the bullpen did its job in you know keeping things within striking distance, both Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer pitching perfect innings in their Marlins debut after being recently acquired from Baltimore. Um, and it was another new acquisition on the offensive side, Jacob Stallings, of all people, hitting the two-run homer that finally got the Marlins on the board in the seventh inning against the Giants' pen. But then the Marlins relievers from there really weren't up to the challenge. It was Richard Blyer allowing a run in the bottom of the eighth inning, unfortunately familiar sight from him as last year where he struggled in spring training and it carried over to the real games uh, and in the top of the ninth just it looks like it'd be really one of the all-time special 
opening day moments for the Marlins. Down by four to three, Jazz Sism Jr. with a runner on base, homering the opposite way to put the Marlins ahead. Two and one, runner goes. Jazz swings, sends one in the air, left field, hit deep, carrying, gone! A home run for Jazz Chisholm! And the Marlins come back and take the lead in the ninth! An exhilarating moment. All they had to do was hold the lead in the bottom of the ninth, but that's easier said than done when your incumbent closer, Dylan Floro, is on the injured list. Anthony Bender got the shot to do it pitching against a Giants team that he grew up rooting for when he was a kid. And the very first batter that he faces in the bottom of the inning, Tyro Estrada, evens the game at 5-5. Marlins had a pretty good opportunity to score in the top of the 10th, couldn't get it done. And then in the bottom of the inning, Anthony Bass, who lost nine games out of the Marlins pen last year, again, is the GOAT in this one, allowing the walk-off double to... Austin Slater down the left field line. So the Marlins lose their opener, uh, which is an unfortunately familiar experience for Marlins fans in recent years. Then on Saturday, in a lineup that was Jazz Chismless, despite his heroics the previous day, and we'll get into that plenty right after this, the Marlins actually win and bounce back on Saturday with Pablo Lopez on the mound facing Carlos Rodon on the other side. Both starting pitchers were excellent in this one, allowing three hits and one run apiece. But Rodon had an extra level of dominance to him, striking out 12 batters in five innings, 12 of his 15 outs coming via the K. Incredible fastball, incredible slider in this one. I don't know if having Jazz in there would have made any sort of difference during that first half of the game. It was all evened up, and once again came down to the bullpens and on this day the the Marlins pen was the one that was brilliant it was hard to nitpick anything that they did with Steven Okert uncharacteristically striking out all four batters he faced Solser again putting up a zero Blyer bouncing back and striking out the side in his inning the Marlins go ahead on a Jesus Sanchez RBI hit Driving in Brian Anderson, that was great to see after B.A.'s shaky spring training, entering this year without a clearly defined role on this team. But those two guys combining for a run in the top of the seventh. Anthony Bender then getting his redemption in the bottom of the ninth, forcing a double play, and then Miguel Rojas, a barehanded throw from shortstop to seal the deal on Saturday for the first Marlins victory of 2022. That brings us to the rubber match on Sunday. Starting pitchers Trevor Rogers and Anthony Desclafani. You would think, just sizing those guys up, that Trevor would have the slight edge. And, uh, you know, in this one, overall, the quality of the starting pitching in this final game was the lowest of the three. With Trevor, a different issue than Sandy. Only issued a single walk in this one. Just was not getting the kind of like nastiness on his stuff that we were accustomed to. He was using a lot more sliders than we're used to seeing and uh even with you know his bread and butter pitches of his hot his four seamer up in the zone and his change up to both sides of the plate those generally just were not getting the kind of results and the whiffs that we're accustomed to three strikeouts in his five innings 
Whereas Desclafani didn't even last that long, taken out after three and two thirds. This just in wholly frustrating game for this Marlins offense, getting 11 hits, but almost all of them were singles, and they just weren't able to sequence them together the way that they would have needed to to put big runs on the board. So the only extra base hit was Jazz getting back into the lineup after being sidelined the previous day. Jorge Soler, after going hitless the previous two games, he reached base safely four times in this one, just did not have the supporting cast to bring him home. Garrett Cooper had one of the two runs batted in for the Marlins, and it came in the most painful way possible on a hit-by-pitch on his left wrist, looking like they dodged a significant injury there, just a contusion on the left wrist for Cooper that caused him to leave the game in that fourth inning. All the offense in this game came in those early innings. Once again, the Marlins' bullpen was awesome, combining for, what, three hitless innings, including the Marlins' debut of Sean Armstrong. But the Giants on the other side also really doing the job, including Harlan Garcia against his former team, working two hitless innings himself. So many opportunities that the Marlins had here in both this game and for the series overall. In those three games combined, two hits in 22 at-bats with runners in scoring position and 0 for 7 in the series finale itself. That was holding them back. You either need to sequence those hits or you need to actually muscle up and hit it out of the ballpark. And they didn't even come particularly close to any homers in this final game. So all three games decided by a single run, a 6-5 loss on Friday, a 2-1 win on Saturday, and a 3-2 loss on Sunday. Just as it has been the case for most of Don Mattingly's seasons, the Marlins couldn't get that opening series win. They've done it just once in the last eight years, only once winning that opening series. If it feels like in your mind that they always get off to relatively slow starts, you know, the evidence backs that up for whatever reason. Coming out of the gate, it doesn't translate the way that you'd want it to for a Marlins team, especially this year, that has extra pressure to get off to a good start to the season. And now they find themselves in a little bit of the hole as their road trip continues into Los Angeles to face the Angels. So now to unpack some of the other storylines from both the major league and the minor league level during this weekend. You got to start with Jazz, who was out of the whole game on Saturday, again, on the heels of hitting that crucial home run that nearly saved them the previous day. It seems not totally surprising to me, just given what we know about this Marlins roster, that they had more than nine competent major league hitters on their active roster. That's a good problem to have. As much as they believe in Jazz as their primary second baseman, essentially an everyday player, you can't take it too literally that he was actually going to be in the lineup for all 162 games. So the matchup, remember, was against Carlos Rodon, who, when he's on his game, is about as unhittable as any lefty in baseball, based on what he showed last season. So that was the day that Mattingly decided to put him on the side, play both Joey Wendell and Brian Anderson in his place, and of, and of course keep Miguel Rojas in there, because if there's one thing that you do trust Rojas to do offensively, it's to 
put together quality at bats against lefties. And he had one of the only hits against Rodon in those early innings of that game. So it's hard to argue with the results that Jazz really would have made much of a difference during that early portion of the game. The issue was how Jazz took to Twitter um, after finding out that he was not going to be in the lineup. Uh, for, he, spent, he spent a good amount of time on there into Saturday morning and early afternoon uh, retweeting Marlins fans who were clamoring to have him back in the lineup, who were upset about it. So not saying it in his own words, but making it abundantly clear the way that he was feeling about it and to take to this public platform to protest the decision to have him out. It was immature. That's really what it was, more so than anything else, to try to use that to lean on the fans who are just less informed, of course, on how to win baseball games than Mattingly is to uh, support him. In many cases, we'll have a better chance to win games when he's in there. That doesn't mean he should be there in there every single game and every single matchup, but it, I mean, it's understandable when you see the individual plays that he makes, the game-changing plays with his bat and, of course, on Sunday with his glove, like going completely airborne to rob a hit with athleticism that is just rarely seen from baseball players. Jazz diving and makes the play. That one ticketed for right field. A diving gem there by Jazz Chisholm Jr. You know, everybody else uh, in the mix, all the other veterans on this roster have better on-base track records than Jazz does. And for Mattingly to in certain matchups to favor those guys over him is completely understandable, just as long as this stuff was communicated beforehand. That direct communication, especially with a young player like him, is is crucial. And the way that Mattingly detailed it, he insists that Jazz was kind of given the heads up about it. Jazz did speak to Jordan McPherson of the Miami Herald, Christina DiNicola of MLB.com about this, essentially saying that he just has a difficult time coping with being out of the lineup just because of how much he loves to play. He always wants to be in there. I'm just paraphrasing. Um, None of the particular quotes were all that insightful from him, to be honest. So his frustration is understandable, but ultimately um, he handled it the wrong way, and I think his, um, his anger is probably misplaced. If, if it is towards the manager himself, because he's just making the best possible decisions he can based on the track records of his players and the skill sets of his players. Just because he's not in jazz is not in the lineup every single day. doesn't mean he's being devalued. And as it turns out, you know, it doesn't mean he's vital for them to win every single game to be in there. They do have enough talent to get it done, even without him in certain situations so I, I, w- I don't want to see that ever again from Jazz. So moving on to some other things, uh, we have the Garrett Cooper injury scare. It's not seemed like that is going to force him to the injured list or anything beyond that, but we got to hold our breath because Cooper did suffer a severe wrist injury on a hit-by-pitch in 2018, if I remember correctly, ultimately leading to a season-ending surgery on that. Uh, Again, a very similar situation to this one, where he was hit by a 93-mile-per-hour fastball. So just 
cross your fingers that the next time he steps into the box and that makes contact with a swing that he's able to be totally fine and back to normal uh, once the swelling of this contusion goes away. If he is out, it creates an interesting ripple effect with this team about the direction that they would go for reinforcements. As we saw when he left the game and with Jesus Aguilar as the designated hitter, that left Miguel Rojas as the last like decent option at first base defensively. He's the one that finished out Sunday's game in place of Cooper, and that's not ideal uh, what you want with this roster construction. So as odd as it is that the Marlins do have two first base only players on the roster in Aguilar and Cooper, um, they're in a really weird spot if either of those guys uh, go down for any significant period of time. Cooper has just been really unlucky health-wise throughout his career. Of course, last year, tearing his uh, UCL and requiring Tommy John surgery based on a collision at first base. There have been some contact injuries. There have been non-contact injuries with Cooper. Uh, Some of these hit-by-pitches just catch him in the wrong spot. I believe there were not just 2018, but also one other time as well, where in 2019 maybe it was, that a hit-by-pitch caused him to go on the IL directly. He, he's been snake-bitten from that regard, and unfortunately, you don't get that missed time back. And now 31 years old, this is such a critical season of his career. So him, more so than anybody else, um, I wish has as good a health as possible just so he can you know prove whether the potential that we believe he has as a hitter to be arguably the best hitter on this entire team whether that comes true if he gets a substantial enough sample size. He's able to be in the lineup pretty much every day. All he needs is his health to cooperate with that. So what else should we go to with Mattingly's decisions? So we covered Jazz. One other recurring thing from the series was the defensive positioning of Jorge Soler. And something I should clarify, I think a lot of people understand this, it's not Don Mattingly that unilaterally comes up with the fielder positioning. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. He really does defer to a lot of his staff in putting in the research, both his staff and the Marlins analytics department as well, to come up with the optimal way to line up hitters. Now, there was something that I wanted to clarify as well, is the language that you use to describe outfield positioning. People mentioning that they're frustrated, a lot of frustration with the way that the Marlins were, quote, shifting Soler. It's not a shift. It was not a shift. You know, he was playing on the left side of the diamond. Sure, um, shifting is what you use almost always to describe the infield positioning. But with Soler still on the same usual side of the field as he always is, this was just about shading towards the left center field gap instead of playing down the line and doing it when right-handed batters were up. So against players that normally pull it down the left field line, he was playing farther towards the middle of the field than usual, and they got burned by it unofficially three different times. I mean, most obviously during the walk-off hit on Friday where Darren Roof, Darren Ruff, Darren Ruff, the super slow runner, was able to come around all the way from first base, and it wasn't even a particularly close play at home plate because of all the ground that Soler had to cover just to come up with the ball. Down the left field line, Ruff is on the move! Ruff is on the move! 
They're going to wave them in. Ruff is on the move. And this game is over. And with a defense that was pulled towards the gap in left center, it opened up the left field line. And that's exactly where Austin Slater put it. It happened on Sunday, which was another one-run loss on almost the exact same situation. Runner on first, double to left field. Solaire takes so much time to get there, you know, partly because of his lack of range, having less range than ideally you want from a defensive outfielder. But they weren't doing him any favors with the way that they were positioning him in that scenario and for most of the series, even when he had right-handed batters coming up. So it'll be curious to see whether that continues in you know their upcoming series, whether they continue to do that. Small sample size, you don't want to overreact to just a few isolated incidents. It's just, you can now point to several runs that the Marlins cost themselves, at least on those particular plays, that would not have been as bad if they'd used traditional defensive positioning right there. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's other things you can nitpick, second guess about Mattingly in this series. I noticed on, on the Sunday series finale... Uh, with the Marlins down by one run in the eighth inning, Avisael Garcia, who otherwise had a really bad offensive series in this one, he did get on base in the eighth inning, representing the potential tying run, and the Marlins still had, at that time, John Birdie on their bench. Even though Garcia has some deceptive athleticism, there's really no doubt that Birdie is the more impactful base runner in that situation, and I was wondering why Birdie did not enter the game at that moment perhaps be put in a position to give him the green light to steal a base and get himself into scoring position when there was nobody out in the inning. That would seem like to be a missed opportunity for me, just something that you could point out. I don't know what he was saving John Birdie for. Even when you what, go to the ninth inning, Birdie didn't get off the bench at all to contribute in that game. When you're in one of these close games, you really should be utilizing almost all of the position players you can. I mean, this is one key difference between the old National League game is you don't need to hold on to guys in an emergency just to pinch hit for the pitcher spot at some point. You can kind of empty them uh, more aggressively. You could be more aggressive with the way that you use your reserve players, especially in these really critical games where every single plate appearance, where every single base runner could make the difference between a win and a loss. I'm going to finish up with just some notes about the minor league side because the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp at AAA, they opened their season much earlier in the week and got a full series in 
with the other Marlins affiliates, Double A Pensacola, High A Beloit, Low A Jupiter, they opened up on Friday on the exact same day that the Marlins did. So it could have been easy to get lost in the commotion on the minor leagues. This is still a good Marlins farm system. And this team, even if they spend a little bit more money than they had been the previous few years, is going to be dependent on their farm system to be a consistent competitive team. So this remains a huge focus of ours in our coverage, and it should be top of mind for all you guys as well as keeping up what's happening in the minor league system. Uh, The two standout hitters by far with these Marlins affiliates over the weekends were Paul McIntosh at Double A Pensacola and Khalil Watson at Low A Jupiter. And you couldn't get much different in terms of their prospect pedigree. Watson, of course, was the first round draft pick of the Marlins, somebody that everybody was shocked was available to the Marlins with the 16th overall pick. He was a consensus top 10 prospect in that draft class, in most people's opinions, a top five prospect who fell uh, at least partially for signability issues. And the Marlins end up devoting a huge chunk of their bonus pool, nearly half of it in the 2021 class, to bring him in. Whereas on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you have McIntosh, who went undrafted in 2021. He is, what, four and a half years older than Watson is out of uh, West Virginia University. A catcher slash left fielder slash designated hitter who has been absolutely raking ever since he entered pro ball. He was able to get more games in last summer than Watson did at Jupiter. And they moved him up really aggressively to double A in what is his first full professional season. He had, by all accounts, a great spring training, both offensively and defensively. Both these guys just really impact the ball so well and have a good understanding of the strike zone. They are just great all-around hitters. It's been so hard to find those guys in the Marlins farm system. It is refreshing to have even one of these guys that just has a really reliable offensive approach. So with McIntosh, he hit home runs on back-to-back nights for the Blue Wahoos. With Watson, the same with Jupiter. And Watson actually was yanked out of the game on Sunday early. He would have had time for an extra two or three plate appearances, but for what seems to be a disciplinary issue, clarified from Craig Mish that it was a non-injury-related removal from the game on Sunday. That was a little odd, and that's just a reminder of how early he is in his developmental process, both as a player and as a person. Watson, not yet even 19 years old. We saw Yuri Perez make his debut at the AA level, get off to a great start the first time through the lineup before uh, coming back down to earth a little bit, being humbled by those more experienced hitters than he's ever faced before. Perez remains my top overall prospect in this farm system with a Watson number two in the organization. And McIntosh is someone that just based on the quality of his hitting, these, these numbers are off the charts that he has put up so far as a professional hitter. Just, I want to make sure I got them all updated so that I'm not just talking out of, out of my ass about it. He is now 
what, 26 games into his minor league career, he has an OPS of 1121, 1,121. That is Ted Williams-like. That's that's really the comp right here. That's the kind of level of production that he is putting up. Just unreal production, especially when you adjust for the type of leagues that he's playing in. And, of course, playing against opposing pitchers that have more experience than he does. Unreal production, the combination of discipline and of barreling the ball uh, in all sorts of situations. Having 17 extra base hits in 26 minor league games to this point. Combined with the fact that he's a catcher and that he is seemingly a, a competent defensive catcher even though he didn't do a whole lot of that his first summer. That's going to be the key with him in terms of exactly where he places in the future of this organization. Based on what he's shown already as a hitter, it's hard to deny that he doesn't have some major league role coming to him in the future. If he can actually stick at catcher as he moves up uh, the minor league ranks, that totally changes uh, the, the kind of value that he has to this organization. To think that he went undrafted just nine months ago is just stunning. Wow. Wow. Marlon's just really fortunate to have somehow gotten through to him and able to scoop him up. Uh, on, on the negative side, we had Edward Cabrera, who was supposed to be making his first scheduled start of the regular season with Jupiter, uh, most likely on Saturday, and he got scratched due to biceps fatigue which has some similarities to the injury that got off to a slow start in um, 2021 as well and shortened his season and delayed his arrival to the major leagues. So this is sort of related to that, believed to be far less significant. Kim Ang expects him to resume throwing as you're listening to this on Monday. That's supposed to be when he's throwing again, and he's close enough removed from his spring training throwing progression that he's not starting from scratch so if all goes well he's somebody that could be back in minor league games by the end of the month and perhaps in the major leagues not long after that that's a best case scenario though he he's really critical because what that does with him at least sidelined at least not an option for the major league team in the near future with Sixto Sanchez obviously being a long way away not even beginning his throwing program yet and with Max Meyer still with a, something to prove at AAA as a starter in terms of how he utilizes his changeup, you're, you're not looking at very sexy rotation depth for the moment. If anything goes wrong with any of the current five Marlins starters, the next men up are just those options on the 40-man roster. And there's some familiar names like Daniel Castano, uh, Braxton Garrett, Cody Poteet, not not the highest upside with any of those guys if they are called upon in the relatively near future with this team. It's, it's very important if the Marlins are going to get off to this relatively hot start. If they are going to be in the thick of this race from the very beginning and to keep people interested, to keep people dreaming of a postseason berth or even more than that, uh, they are really trusting their main five starters to stay healthy. And coming off an opening weekend where, as I mentioned, Sandy was not great. Trevor was not great either. 
there is high expectations for these starters. And if they don't reach those high expectations early on, you know, this season could like go the way of many other recent seasons for the Marlins where they find themselves in a hole and just trying spending the entire summer trying to play catch up with what is going to be a pretty tough division. But we'll be taking it one game at a time, really one pitch at a time with this Marlins season, not jumping too far ahead. Just a really refreshing change of pace to be able to talk about real baseball. Coming up on Monday night, we have another edition of Fish Stripes Live previewing every single Marlins series with hour-long live streams on our YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook accounts. We are bringing back the Fish Picks Prop Bets Contest with some new tweaks to it, uh, with some new prizes to it. So the full details of that are up on the website, and we'll be announcing that on Twitter as well about how you can make your free prop bets for every single series. I've been Eli Sussman here on the Fish Tribes Podcast, back with another episode of the official show coming up on, on Thursday morning on the same feed. Twice a week, just about every week, for the foreseeable future, talking about your Miami Marlins. Thanks for listening, and go fish.